This is the Sexual Alchemy Podcast for men who want to discover and embrace profound confidence, intimacy, pleasure, and connection. I'm Rebecca Lowry, and I invite you to explore who you really are as a confident, sexual, and sensual man. Whether you're dealing with specific sexual issues or you just know there's more to it than you've experienced so far, this is a safe space for you to learn, grow, and expand your erotic potential and possibilities. Hello, welcome to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast. I am so delighted to bring you today's guest, and it's taken us a while to get around to this. I wanted to have her on within the first year, within the first weeks of starting this podcast. Today's guest is the one and only Barbara Corellis. I will read you her official bio, but first I just want to tell you a little bit about how Barbara and I met. I read her book, Urban Tantra, probably 10 or more years ago. As I was reading it, I was thinking it was the most awesome book on sexuality and tantra and kink that I'd ever read. The book is about how tantra and conscious kink practices really lead you into similar pathways and doorways and experiences. And she put it together in such a way that was just awesome. And I think not long after I read the book, I heard that she was going to be in the UK doing a talk and a workshop. And I went along to the talk, which was at Shush Women's Toy Store, Women's Sex Toy Store in London, and then went along to her workshop. And it was life-changing for me because all of the neo-tantra I had done up to that point um, was very white, heterosexual, straight, you know, and although that was lovely and I certainly got a lot from it, Barbara's was absolutely inclusive and diverse. And there were people there from all different walks of life, different nationalities, different genders, different sexual orientations. And, you know, we all worked together and had just a magnificent, revolutionary time for me. And then Long story short, I went on to do her first ever professional training program based on the book in New York, which was amazing. And then I produced Barbara's Urban Tantra professional training program here in the UK for a good few years. So I've known her for a long time. She's been a friend, a teacher, a mentor. Let me read you a little bit of her official bio and then We'll bring Barbara on. So Barbara is the founder of Urban Tantra, an approach to conscious sexuality that adapts and blends a wide variety of sacred sexuality practices from Tantra to BDSM. She is the author of Urban Tantra, Sacred Sex for the 21st Century, now in its second edition, Ecstasy is Necessary, and Luxurious Loving. She was named Best Tantric Sex Seminar Leader in New York City by Time Out New York Magazine, very cool, and received a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Sexual Freedom Awards in London. Her workshops are always an eclectic mix of sexual and spiritual practices designed to encourage readers and participants of all genders and sexual orientations to expand their capacity for both pleasure and spiritual fulfillment, which is why she is one of my heroes. I welcome Barbara Corellis. This week, I am absolutely over the moon to have finally 
Barbara Corellis on the podcast. Barbara, hello. Welcome. Hello. And I am so thrilled to finally, our calendars clearly <laughs> are overloaded. Hi. Yeah, we've trying for almost a year, but here we are. Here, here we, are. we are. So Barbara, as I was saying in the introduction, we met like a decade ago or something ridiculous. I think it's a bit more at this point. Yeah. I forget about the last couple of years, you know, they kind of uh, yeah, melted into one, but you're right. You're right. And um, so we met, you came to the UK. I did a course of yours at Shush, or I think you did a talk at Shush that I came to. And then you- I did a talk at Shush. And then suddenly you appeared in San Francisco. Everywhere. No, it was New York first. It was, it was New York first. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. So tell, I want you to do your own introduction, things that I might not have said. Tell us who you are, what you do. And, and then I've got so many things I want to talk to you about. Yeah. So I'll make the introduction quick. I'm Barbara Corellis. I'm the founder of Urban Tantra, which is a modern reinterpretation uh, lineage of neo-tantra. And I've written some books, including Urban Tantra, Sacred Sex for the 21st Century, and Ecstasy is Necessary. And I have a professional training program. I teach workshops around the world in uh, modern applications for uh, of tantra and tantric sex. And can I just do a brief definition of tantra so we can get that out of the way? Please. Tantra, it's a very confusing concept to a lot of people, and often to me as well. Uh, Tantra is this huge ancient practice and philosophy which began in India around maybe 600 AD. And since then, it has gone underground, above ground, underground, above ground. It's got probably thousands of different lineages, many of which have not survived because they weren't written down. And the basic essential that I think hundreds of years of Tantra all have in common is a belief that you can find spiritual enlightenment and purpose in the stuff of everyday ordinary life, being in a body. You don't have to wait to die to have the good stuff. Everything you need is right here, right now, and it's why you chose to be here, right here, right now. A lot of people think of Tantra as the yoga of sex. And I used to think, oh my God, that's so wrong. Tantra is like this vast ocean and the sex part's like a coffee cup worth. And that may be true, but I no longer think it's important that it's true. In that there are so few paths, spiritual paths that embrace sexuality, that if you find one and it works for you, run with it. And Tantra is one of those paths. So I do in my work focus on the part of Tantra that can be applicable, applied, and about sex. Like if you can dive into any aspect of life and find spiritual enlightenment, then sex is certainly one of those things. So let's go there because it's been so ignored by so many religions, so many governmental governmental organizations, and so many oppressive systems, honestly. So that's the wrap about Tantra. Urban Tantra is a particular version for the times we live in now. I feel I want to applaud you. That was fucking awesome. That was awesome, awesome, awesome. And and for me, one of the really beautiful strands of Urban Tantra is that it, you know, when I first read your book, I've told you this many times, I, I was reading it going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. 
and thinking, I wish I'd written this, but I didn't know it, you know, <laughs> to have written it. But what, what you brought in too was uh, BDSM and kink as a spiritual path and how Tantra and kink are really just doorways into the same place. And so you can weave them together or not, you know, depending. Well, I don't know that you can take what you just described as tantra out of kink and actually have any fun with it, right? You know, like the hallmark of urban tantra, if I had to pick one quality that 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 stands out about urban tantra, it's inclusion. And I don't just mean inclusion of all sorts of different types and races and classes and abilities of people, but also different erotic and spiritual practices. Everything can be included and done tantrically, so to speak, can be done with the intention of more connection, more embodiment, more spiritual realization, more higher growth. BDSM and kink is certainly, a, I don't, I couldn't even tell you anymore the dividing line between when Tantra stomps and BDSM starts because they're the same thing the way I do them. And that's the same thing the way a lot of people do them, whether or not they know they're doing it something tantrically. Oh, absolutely. Like when I was first exploring kink and BDSM here in the UK, I noticed there was two kinds of people. I mean, obviously there's lots of kinds of people, two kinds of people that I met. There were the kinds of people that were intentional with their kink. They understood that there was transformation possible, healing possible, that kind of thing. And just like people with sex or tantras, there's some that understand, you know, if I bring my awareness to this, there's something deeper possible. And then there were the ones that just got drunk and like to beat people or, you know, look, I always say this one, gosh, my, my brain's just got one example. <laughs> uh, my partner and I went to like a kink club early on in our relationship. And there was a guy holding a flogger, flogging a woman who was kind of bent over something. He had a beer in his other hand and he wasn't even looking at her. He was drinking his beer and talking to people. And I thought, I saw him in fact later say to someone, I'm so kinky, I'm so into the, and I was like, no, you're not. You're not even consciously aware of what you're doing. You didn't connect with her at all. You weren't connected with the tool in your hand. You weren't connected with the present moment. You were just trying to get drunk to disassociate from what you were doing, you know? And people do that with, with all kinds of sex as well. But reading your book was the first time I was like, oh yes, these are just different, not different pathways, but different flavors of pathways into the same place. And so I, you know, I was like all hail Barbara, because this is really fucking important and people need to know this. And so, you know, then you turned it into a training program and you teach it around the world. I was like, yes, people need this. And you teach it also to practitioners who need it. Right? Yes. You know, I finally became aware of my human limitations and realized I wasn't going to live forever and couldn't possibly go all the places I wanted to go. But I do have this, this passion for creating positive change in the world. And the way to do that is to gather together some helpers. So my professional training program isn't so much about teaching people how to do things my way, because that changes, but rather to come together around a common set of values and purposes. And again, inclusion, let's include the way you do your work and your community and if you did your work to your community, with your community, the way I do with mine, it wouldn't even work. So what's your way? What serves your community? And let's add to that. 
let's deepen that. Let's let's put some urban tantra. I think of urban tantra as the broth, not mm. as the 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 meat, the potatoes, the flavoring, the spices necessarily, although it could be sometimes. But I think of it as this delicious, rich broth that everything else can float and sit in. That is stunning. And then you know, someone who comes to do the course might be, well, here's my carrot. And somebody else says, well, here's my meat and here's my potato. And then we learn from each other's ingredients. Exactly. And learn how we can put things together differently than we ever thought. You know, like when you were a kid or a teenager and there were so many aha moments, like, whoa, that's how that works whoa, you mean you can do that? Oh, I've never seen that before. As we get older, those moments become fewer and farther apart. One of my intentions is to bring back those moments through the intersections of sexuality, spirituality, and connection. And I don't just mean connection with partners, which is awesome. I mean how it also becomes connection with your world. It's like if you have an amazing sexual experience, it's sort of my my image for it is it cracks the glass ceiling above your head that was the number of possibilities you thought were available to you. And we all have our finite imagining of our possibilities. Fabulous prolonged, extended, heightened conscious sexual experiences break that ceiling and reveal another ceiling 20 feet higher. Amen. And then that ceiling keeps getting lower as you're more used to it. You have another one of those experiences and there goes the other ceiling. In Science of Mind, my mentor and my teacher, Louise Hay, used to call it the totality of possibilities. I like that. Which is one of my favorite phrases of all times. And what we're doing is expanding our awareness of how vast that totality of possibilities is. And that's what erotic exploration of the kind you do, Rebecca, and the kind I hope I do, that's what it brings to people. And it's why we do it, because when we do it, we get the same thing back. I mean, (laughs) every day is a new aha moment for us too. Absolutely. And there's always somewhere new to grow and evolve and learn. Like you could, you could never get bored ever, <laughs> you know, challenged. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> Constantly. But you know, that's part of growth. Prior to uh, turning on the record button here, uh, you and I were talking about how much we have learned from working with neurodivergent people. Yes. And how much wisdom they have brought to our practice by uh, being generous enough to explain to us precisely how they experience their personal wiring around sex and pleasure and touch and consent and what's a turn on and what's not. And how as we learn to become more conscious and aware of things that we have previously taken for granted, whole universes of possibilities open up. Yes, constantly. Like uh, every folder has subfolders, which has subfolders, which has subfolders. 
Exactly. You know, which is why your work is so great because of its inclusion of everything. And I, I like to think that my work, you know, echoes that, you know, because I was taught by you. And it's totally in, in alignment with that. The excitement. I think, I think we share an extreme excitement <laughs> about what we might investigate or explore today. And the more diversity and inclusion, the more possibilities, the more total, the number of totality, what was the phrase? <laughs> to- totality of possibilities. Yeah. Well, the, the more, more that we expands. Under- yeah, the more we understand how vast that is. You and I also share, uh, because our excitement around expansion is so intense, it's such a huge turn on for us. Uh, give me more, give me new, give me different, teach me more. I think it's why we also take it so personally where when possibilities and freedoms are restricted. And of course, we were just, again, before the record button went on, talking about our almost inability to fully respond to the recent withdrawal of freedoms, particularly sexual freedoms in the United States, and how we haven't fully come to terms with that since it is in such opposition to our values that it's almost a kind of paralyzing. That is the perfect word. I I mean, I told you, I've tried at least four times to make a podcast talking about how this decision impacts everyone. Not, I mean, you can see obviously that it impacts people who can become pregnant. That seems that's obvious, but it's going to impact everyone because how people who can get pregnant have sex or anyone who even cares about them is going to change. You know, how people feel safe to relax into a sexual situation is going to change. But every time I open my mouth to try to do a podcast, I just end up so angry that I'm not useful. And so, you know, I just haven't been able to do that podcast, which actually brings me to one of the things I wanted to discuss with you because you are the perfect fucking person to do this with. (laughs) So there's that podcast I've been trying to do, but can't quite get to on my own. Another one I've been wanting to address, which is related to this, is how, and we, we talked about it a little bit before we jumped on here, which is how exploring your sexuality and who you are as a sexual being is an act of revolution right now. And I tried also to record that on my own. It's too big a subject. (laughs) And I think you and I together can talk about some of the parts of that. Obviously, it's so huge. It would take hours to, to talk about all of it. But in a world where we know that you can continue to expand the totality of possibilities for yourself and and, you know, we are a microcosm of the macrocosm. So as we expand, so does society, so does nature, so does consciousness. Now we live in the context of a world where they are taking away basic human rights that directly affect sexuality. So then exploring sexuality does become an act of revolution. It really does. It really does. And it is tempting to think that personal sexual exploration as a global revolutionary tool is bullshit and that it's just an excuse for doing whatever you want to do sexually. And I beg to differ. Same. I know, personal example, I know that when I just 
I started exploring Tantra and the connection between sexuality and spirituality in the 1980s during the AIDS crisis. And all I wanted to do was to see if I could find a safer way for my gay brothers to have sex, a way that was not going to kill them by spreading a virus, a way that would help them connect to some spiritual roots that they'd been chucked out of when they announced they were gay and that felt like it had a healing component or maybe did have a healing component, which sounds like a lofty goal, but it was pretty small and pretty specific. Mm -hmm. So my personal sexual exploration was certainly for myself, but it was primarily motivated with that by that question. So perhaps what I learned, well, not perhaps, what I learned certainly did have a positive effect on a relatively small number of people around me in New York City. Awesome. But then gay sex was perceived as deadly, like a deadly weapon. So suddenly, and this is where ACT UP, if you're going through the history of LGBTQ rights, comes into it. And suddenly that took on a political component. And I was not a political activist, and I still don't think of myself as a political activist. But over the years since the 1980s, as I have continued to expand this urban tantra, I find that I am perceived, and what others think don't doesn't matter, but it does sometimes help inform how you see yourself. I have become quite an activist, mm-hmm. but I still don't show up on state house steps very often. That's not the flavor of activism I am. Right. And I think that sexual liberation is so foundational to who we are as people and that governments and other systems of oppression, including ones we cherished, like religions, mm-hmm. know that sexuality is our biggest, strongest, driving force and if they can keep that in check by mind fucking us into submission, mm-hmm. they are essentially putting blinders on us that allow us to see things their way in other, about other things in society, not just sex. Mm-hmm. If we're following their rules on sex, we're probably following their rules about any number of other laws, voting rights, um, Who we marry, how we live. Yeah. How we marry, how we live, all this other stuff. So I do think liberation in one corner of your life, and I believe sexuality to be perhaps the most powerful, opens your awareness to systems of oppression affecting other people, even if it's just the ones you love, and makes you vote differently or support other people's progress or other people's liberation. I think there is a deeply follow-on effect. Now, look at it this way. If you were to convert from one religion to another, something that appears quite different, although I think the root of a whole lot of spiritual traditions is very similar, but we won't go there. The practices are certainly different depending on what you pick. If you were to convert passionately to some religious belief that is not currently your own or practice, practice that is not currently your own, that would affect pretty much all the systems in your life, right? Exactly. You would do everything pretty much everything differently. You would look at things differently. You might vote differently. You would speak differently. You would have different opinions about than you had before. Same is exactly true about sex. Exactly. Exactly. And 
yes to all, everything you're saying. And I, I think that what we see happening now has happened since ancient times, which I think is why systems like Tantra came into being, which is, like you say, the, the powers that be, whatever they are, know that humanity's greatest power is their sexual energy. It's like the matrix of life, literally and figuratively, right? It's what connects us to everything. And so you can imagine like, you know, these um, probably men sitting <laughs> sitting around thinking, how are we going to cut off everybody's power? Well, we can't go around cutting off genitals, which they try to do in many countries and still do to this day, but they thought that we still can't get everyone. So we'll just shame them from the neck down. If people are ashamed to be in their bodies, connected to their bodies, to even have a body, then they can't feel each other. They can't feel nature as much. And just to make sure will add fear. So there will always be something to fear in the world. And then they're not going to want to go into their bodies because they'll feel the fear. And so now we live in a world where the thinking analytical mind is what is applauded as the place to be. Like if you think it or, or measure it or whatever it comes from the brain, it is held in higher esteem than if it's a felt sense of knowing, you know, than if it's an intuition, that if it's your gut sense. And so it's a great way to disempower humanity. And keep people, you know, down. And anyway, now I'm going down that depressing place. I told you that. It's, <laughs> it's okay. I'll, I'll, pull, I'll pull you back. I'll pull you yes, back. Yes, yes. Um, Which brings me back to why <laughs> exploring sex and sexuality is a revolutionary act. <laughs> and okay, so how do we do that? So I think that I'm going to pick up from that dark, depressing <laughs> rabbit hole you tried to take us down. If you go into the 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 fantasy the thing you love to do, the big no-no that you feel shame about or you feel if somebody knew they hate you, that one, and you go 3,000 feet above it and look down, get a little detachment and go, okay, but what is it about that thing that upsets me? What is it that it's about? If, In other words, what are the values in it? Are the values things like maybe safety, nurturing, connection, feeling held, feeling close, uh, being brave, feeling free. You pick your own. What are the qualities in that experience that you have been told is wrong? That experience, that fantasy, that whatever. What's the quality you're actually going for? And you probably feel really good about what that quality is. You just don't like the painting or the movie it's appearing in. So if you could create in your life erotic scenarios that hold the intentions of those very positive values and feelings you have, you could play them out with a willing human being in some very hot, safe, still erotic way. And so I just invite you to imagine yourself being able to do that. You don't have to go out and do it tomorrow if you're not ready for that. But what would that look like if it were okay? If you have the permission to have that possibility, what would what would that be like? Rehearse it in your head or, or talk it through with somebody you can trust. A step toward liberation starts with that step. Yes. And as you're talking, I'm almost seeing like, you know, like a mind map where there's lots of strings coming off that one idea. And I'm seeing all these strings like, you know, so... Again, like I talk about the micro and the macro, as we explore these things, 
We're healing ourselves, which creates healing in the world. We are lessening the shame and guilt we may have been brought up with, which lessens it in the world. We are, if we're exploring that with erotic energy, then that that erotic energy is like rocket fuel, which adds more of that good quality into the world. So there's so many threads to why this is a powerful practice, why exploring who you are, whether you're just doing the healing of the things that stop you, like you were talking about, or whether you are actually going, you know, I'm going to engage in some of this stuff consciously, you know, because even daring to be consciously sexual in this world is, is it becoming a revolutionary act, is a healing act, is a actually I'm going to be, because here's the thing, I mean, we could all go and just have sex in terms of you know, put things in places and not be present and not be conscious. And that's not really going to change anything. What you and I are very much talking about is conscious sexuality, where we're very aware. We come to each other with intent. Hey, I feel like, you know, doing some spanking, fancy being spanked. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's do it to um, heal this, or let's do it just for the fucking sake of pleasure. Or let's, but when you bring that awareness to it, it becomes transformational. Awareness and intention. Yes. I'd like to try spanking because I've always been curious about it and I'd like to know what it feels like. Great intention. I'd like to try spanking because it's always been a secret, naughty turn on and I'd like you to be an English school mom with the ruler. And I'd, I'd like to play with that dynamic. You got somebody who goes, I'd love to be that school mom and you can go there. So that's a completely different intention. I want to experience a spanking so that I can go into an altered state of reality on the endorphins and go traveling in the stratosphere for a while. That's a different intention. What's your intention? And I'm just seeing this now as you're saying that in order for all of that to work well, we need the things in place that that change things in the world. We need to be in our bodies. You know, and so our bodies need to be a place we want to be. So there might need to be some healing to get, we need to be in our bodies. We need to be fully present. We need to be, you know, able to connect and communicate well. And so all of those things, which help you live a good life generally also make your sex life better. Also make your intentional sex transformational for the world. And then blows that ceiling of the totality of possibilities wide open, doesn't it? Yeah. And embodied people are the people who create change in the world. It's, to use a very simplistic example, um, you can type on Twitter on your computer all day, but unless you're 0.001% of the influencers on the planet, it's not going to do much good. But if you can get in your body and get out of the house and show up someplace to actually do something, you could create a, you could, you can literally be an agent of change. Uh, you and I, again, back to our, uh, you and I both spoke with each other about our paralysis when the abortion decision came, the, the end of abortion freedom in America decision came down. And that paralysis was an incredibly disembodying experience. We felt powerless. We were like not in our bodies. We were so shell-shocked and we couldn't affect any positive change because we weren't really in our bodies. We were so dissociated by the shock. It's taken time for us to be able to drop in to back into our bodies to start writing the newsletter or making a phone call or whatever that it takes a body to do. Yeah. 
and being able to talk about it with some wisdom and not just rage. Because <laughs> that exactly. And you know, I do think, and I'm curious what your thought on this. I think that in this world that's that's changing, hopefully systems of oppression are being torn down, even though it doesn't look like that. I think that's what's happening. There are people who are the ones that point to what's wrong and say, this is wrong, but I don't know what to do about it. And then there's other people whose role it is to tear down the old systems. I don't think those are my things. My role isn't to be out there marching and getting angry and going down those depressing rabbit holes, even though I get drawn there. But that puts me out of action. I think my role and your role will be similar is helping people get back in their bodies and feel things and get connected to their hearts and clearing shame and clearing fear and remembering, you know, you know, Adrian Marie Brown, who wrote the book Pleasure Activism. It's that. It is a form of pleasure activism. So that's the one thing that gave me a bit of hope was, well, I can keep going down these rabbit holes of looking at all the disintegrating human rights, but I will just take to bed and be done. Like I, I will be completely ineffectual and you said the right word paralyzed to do anything. But also, like you said, you know, I've chosen to be here at this time for some reason. And my superpowers are waking men up to who they really are through the doorway of sexuality, getting them in their bodies, connected to their hearts. What you said about permission and possibilities and then they can live in the world as a different vibration, which is hopefully bringing about the new way, whatever that is. I don't know. I'm not the envisioner of it, but the hoper so of it. Yeah. And the, and, and the men are the partners of so many of the women who are now faced with this new reality and to be allies to the women they love. They, men need to get in their bodies and be there, not go, oh, not my problem. Well, maybe it is, but I don't know what to do about it. And we just won't talk about that. Uh, But, but rather to step up and knowing what flavor ally you are is really important. You know, trying to be like, for instance, during the AIDS crisis, bless the members of ACT UP, the angry political group that stormed government actions. I I was on a couple of marches with them. I was there the day that a gay man threw his lover's ashes over the White House fence. Wow. And uh, yeah, powerful action. Mm. And that though, as an, you know, as, as a hands-on everyday member was not my path. Mm-hmm. It happened to be where I was that day, but, it, it, <laughs> and, and, and I certainly was proud to be on that march, but my path was at the New York healing circle, right? Where we were helping people love themselves and forgive themselves and find some power in their powerlessness. That's where I could do some good. That's where my activism took place. And some people don't call that activism, but I'm here to tell you it is. Of course it is. I mean, how you live your life, if you're not buying into systems of oppression or towing the party line, is is activism. You know, even just yeah. existing as a sexual person sometimes is activism, you know, just existing. So if we're, oh, there's the Buddhist phrase, uh, Sherry Huber's phrase, Sherry is a Buddhist. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. So if you feel you want, this is true for me anyway, if I feel I want more liberation in the world, then it's my job to go out and liberate myself from something today. Now, what I generally realize is holding me back 
is fear. So when I need to liberate myself from something and I'm not sure what it is, I look to what I'm scared of. Beautiful. And instead of sitting in the fear, and fear and shame are so closely related, sitting in the fear and the shame, I don't know how to do this. I can't do this. Something bad could happen, blah, 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 blah. I make a conscious effort to say to myself, of course I can do this. I've done this before. And if you haven't done it before in this lifetime, pretend you believe in it past lives, even if you don't. Yeah. I've done this in so many lifetimes before this. I'm going back there. Really, people fake it till you make it. It works. And you sit in that place of power for only an instant, take a breath and step forward. You've just liberated yourself, just even on that one little thing. And once you have, there's no closing that door. And that liberation liberates the next person, liberates the next person, liberates the next person. It will show up somewhere in your life where it needs to. I promise you. I promise you. So if you are the kind of generous, I can do it for other people, but I can't do it for myself kind of person, do it for yourself because you're actually doing it for other people too. We really can't be free until we're all free. I know it's a t-shirt phrase, but it's fucking true. But yeah, it's absolutely true. And the last bit I want to, I mean, I could talk to you forever, obviously, but I wanted to go back to something you've touched on a couple of times that I think is kind of the bottom line here, which is power, you know, like the, we live in a world of power over and you can play with that in a sexy way and consensual way. Sure. But, but in order even to play with power consensually, you have to have your power about you. Right. And so that I think that whatever the powers that be are trying to zap our power away from us, make us feel powerless. Like I felt when the announcement first came through, you know, but then you have to find your way back to your power. It can be power in any area of your life. And then you go, okay, now I've got this piece of power. I feel like I can pay my own bills or I can, I don't know, feed myself or whatever it is. Okay. Then what's the next piece for you? And at some point, sexuality becomes a part of that because we're not whole without that piece in place. And so I think a lot of people these days do a lot of personal development work, but the personal development world does doesn't include sexuality for mm-hmm. the most part. Right. And so, you know, I I talk about um the sexuality piece being the final frontier, you know. <laughs> True. Which is also why, though, it's so fucking liberating because you may have liberated a bunch of other parts of you, but there's some deeply held contractions and fears and shames and things in the world of sexuality. So as you liberate from those, you are getting your personal power back. And when you have your personal power back, then you can live in the world differently and start to affect change like we were talking about. So it all it's all connected. <laughs> It's all connected. And honestly, I think so much, if you can't find any other pathway in, just take a few minutes and go masturbate and focus on where it takes you. Focus on your body because it will take you into your body. And the whole premise of orgasm is release. And release and liberation are cousins. (laughs) Yeah. And if you can go into that moment of release and orgasm, if only for a few instants, you get a reminder with the intention that I'm going to give myself a moment of liberation. Yes. You can also take that into your heart. This is my erotic prayer side. Hmm. And you can take that orgasm, that moment of liberation into your heart and send it out as an orgasmic prayer 
to people for whom you wish liberation. So you can have your own little mini sex magic moment where your pleasure and your release is dedicated to something bigger than you, that you are part of, that you are part of, but is bigger than you. And it's one of my favorite ways to reconnect with the human race. I love that so much. So, so much especially as someone who often wonders why am I here as part of the human race? I don't get them, but also I need them, you know? So, and so yes, yes to all of that. And that, you know, that's it. We literally have the power to change the world in our hand that we masturbate with. (laughs) And with that... I think we've reached a conclusion, don't you? I think we have the solution to all the world's problems. Uh, Now that we've solved the world's problems. Nothing else to say. Really, we're mute. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Barbara, I'm not going to take up any more of your time because you know what we're like. We could talk for hours. We just have to come back and do it again. We'll do it again. Sooner than a year. Keep you on this podcast for the rest of your natural life, listeners. Uh (laughs) Is there anything like all your information will be in the show notes? You know, I'll link to you every, everywhere I post it. If all this is new to you, pick up my book, Urban Tonker. It's available in all the formats. I'll link to it as well. Paper, Kindle, audio. Audible, um, you know, and um, if you want something a bit more embodied, go well, go to my website, get on my newsletter list, but you can also find an MP3 I recorded, How to Have a Breath and Energy Orgasm. And it's a really good way to learn the energetic mechanisms of orgasm. It's sort of like a mini tantra course in one exercise. And that's uh, How to Have a Breath and Energy Gasm. It's like 15 bucks. It's cheap. You can try it at home. Um, that's something else that I'm sure listeners to this podcast might find of value. Brilliant. So um, those, co- link oh, and it. there's of course, Ecstasy is Necessary. If you like the title, you'll probably like the book. Uh, <laughs> and I hope to see everybody in an online workshop or in person as this pandemic continues to loosen its grip on us. Amen to that also. Barbara, thank you so, so, so much. Really, you are just such a gem and uh, hold such important energy and and light for what is going on right now. And I'm so grateful to you for everything I've learned from you, from knowing you, from being impacted by you and your work. Um, and so I'm I'm just delighted to finally share that with, with the listeners. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. It's been a joy. We'll do it again soon. Yes, please. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast with Rebecca Lowry. If this podcast has aroused your curiosity and you'd like to take things further, you can get a copy of my free video training, Reclaiming Your Intuitive, Confident, Sensual Self. The link is in the show notes below, wherever you are listening.